while you're leaving, Scott's going to come. Uh, we have the special privilege this morning of having Scott Shoup, our youth pastor, uh, share the word of God with us. So uh, Scott is a son of this church, been here since he was a young man, little man, and has grown up here. And uh, it's great to have him come to a place of service here and to be able to share the word of God with us. So welcome, Scott, as he shares. All right, well, thank you. Uh, like Pastor Bart said, I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, most of you know, uh, married to my beautiful wife, Andy, and uh, we have a baby girl, Ellie, who was born last fall, and uh, it's awesome being a dad. Uh, my in-laws are actually in town, uh, Dave and Shirley Ford from Jacksonville, Florida, so it's great to have them here, and um, blessed and humbled to get to bring the word this morning. <clears throat> um, just a quick funny story. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm loving being a dad, and uh, I'm realizing that as, as Ellie grows up that she's very opinionated and has no problem expressing her opinions. And just a few weeks ago, actually on a Sunday morning, uh, we were literally just minutes away from walking out the door to come to church, and uh, I had picked up Ellie was holding her, and she decided she didn't like the outfit that I was wearing that day, so she decided she was going to spit up on it, and uh, so she proceeded to spit up, not just on my sweater, but all down my jeans, on my feet, uh, and so I had to completely change clothes and pick out an Ellie-approved outfit. Um, So, but uh, if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to Genesis 32, Genesis 32, just a little background kind of on how kind of how I feel like the Lord gave me uh, the message today. Really over the last, I would say, year, probably more than that, I've become pretty interested in the topic of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. What does spiritual maturity in the Lord look like? Um, and I know it's easy. I'm in youth ministry, like I said, and it's easy if you're in youth ministry or if you have a, a child who's a teenager uh, to become discouraged at many of the stats and surveys that are out there that show a lot of young people after they graduate high school and move away, they oftentimes leave the church and don't come back and leave the faith that they were raised uh, to, to know and believe. And I don't want that to be the case for, for the young people here. I don't want that to be the case for me. I don't even want to look back and say, well, I remember the kind of the, the good days of my relationship with God when I was 15 or in my 20s. Um, I want to press on to, to maturity in the Lord and, and see our young people press on to maturity in the Lord. And, and I'm starting to learn, I feel like I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody this morning, but I'm starting to learn uh, that a, a secret, a key to growing up in the Lord, to having a faith that where the roots are, are deeply rooted in God is found really in a counterintuitive principle. And that's what we're going to talk about today, looking at a pretty bizarre uh, story in, in Genesis on, on Jacob. But uh, the title today is Embracing Weakness. And uh, coming primarily from Genesis 32, the story of when Joseph wrestles with God. Um, and if there's a kind of a big idea today, the big idea would be kind of we grow to know God better by embracing weakness. And I know you may be saying, well, aren't we in a series called Bold that Pastor Bart's preaching on? How does that fit with being weak? Um, But I hope that you'll see that really um, embracing weakness is kind of the flip side of the same coin. 
of that we actually can become more bold as we embrace our weakness. Um, but this is a, it's a very counterintuitive, um, countercultural thing to talk about embracing weakness. I mean, can you imagine one of the political candidates running on the platform of saying, hey, I, I embrace my weakness. I know and embrace my weaknesses. I mean, that's almost humorous when you consider who's running. Uh, I'm not going to say anything else about, about that. Um, but it, it goes against really our, our culture. But I, I know that this could easily be misunderstood when I say the word weakness. So uh, I want to be clear of what, I'm, what I mean and what I don't mean when I say weakness. And to kind of introduce the, the topic of weakness, I want to look at um, briefly at a passage in 2 Corinthians. Pastor Bart's going to very soon be preaching through 2 Corinthians, but I w- want to look at um, the passage at the end of 2 Corinthians of where, where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And uh, he'd had this great vision from the Lord, and he said to keep him from becoming prideful and conceited, he's given this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, and three times he asks for God to take it away. And God says what? He says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is, is perfected in weakness. And uh, we don't know exactly what the thorn was. At least I, I don't. Maybe Pastor Brault will be able to shed some light on it when he preaches. Um, but I, I think actually there's, there's some purpose in t- as to why we don't know exactly what, what this thorn was in Paul's flesh um, in order that all of us, when we, when we face struggles in our lives, we can learn from the principle that, that Paul's about to share. And um, so first, I want to say what, what, what embracing weakness is not. What I do not mean when I say embracing weakness. First of all, embracing weakness, um, what it is not, it, it is not embracing sin. Um, it, it's not this attitude where you just say, well, I, I'm a sinner, but, but God forgives me. And I'm still a sinner, but God forgives me. So I'm just going to kind of take this whatever approach to to growing in holiness, growing to be more like Christ. That's, that's really a misunderstanding of grace. As grace has been talked about so often here, that grace, when you, when you taste grace, it, it, it changes you. Um, embracing weakness is, is also not embracing laziness or, or complacency or mediocrity. This, this goes against really a, a something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where he says, do everything for the what? For the glory of God. And so I think as Christians, we're called to be excellent in our work. Um, also, embracing weakness does not mean um, cowardice or, or being fearful. Or, or it's not walking around timidly. Um, ironically, Paul says that as I embrace my weaknesses, I become, I become truly strong in the Lord. And then finally, embracing weakness is not a, a false humility. It's not this idea of just kind of going around and, and talking bad about yourself and just saying, you know, I, I'm terrible, I'm awful, I'm a loser, everyone's better than me. That's really, um, I've, I've shared with our youth group before, that's, that's really what I struggled with in, in high school, kind of going around with that attitude. And really that's just a hidden form of pride and self-centeredness. That's not weakness and humility. Um, so what is embracing weakness? Well, the word weakness, um, or a form of it, Paul uses four times in this text in, in 2 Corinthians 12. And the word that he uses for it means a state of incapacity to do or experience something, a, a limitation. And he kind of stacks up all of these terms. Um, depending on your translation, he says things like, I'll boast and be content in my insults, hardships, 
persecutions, calamities, difficulties, distresses, troubles. The, the word for calamities um, that he uses is it's a set of difficult circumstances implying certain restrictions, a distress or difficulty. So it's this broad idea that it really, um, I think it's, it's anything that shows our inadequacy and shows that we are not self-sufficient in and of ourselves. And so this could really include almost anything. This could include physical injuries, physical sickness. Um, this could include a, a proneness to certain ongoing sins, temptations that we struggle with, attacks coming at us from, from other people or from the enemy. Uh, I, I think it's, it's broad. Before, before I go on, though, I want to I say this quickly about, about healing, um, praying for healing, just so, so there's no misunderstanding. Please do not hear me saying that... Um, when we embrace weakness, it, it means we don't, we don't pray for healing or that healing doesn't, cannot occur. I mean, here at Fullness, we fully believe that, that God can still and still does heal people when we pray for healing. Um, but we also recognize that there are times in his wisdom where God decides not to heal, at least not in our timing or in the way that, that we see fit. So what should our response be? Well, I think um, I asked Pastor Bart about this and think our response is we pray until God says no or until he heals us. And in the meantime, we just keep praying. Um, and in the meantime, while we're waiting, we, we embrace our weakness and use it to, to lean into God's strength. We, we boast in our weakness. So embracing weakness means embracing the fact that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and that even though he allows weaknesses to remain in our lives, he hasn't somehow slipped off of his throne. He, he's sovereign over that. It means that we're dependent on the Holy Spirit's power. We literally are dependent on the Holy Spirit's power to do everything in the Christian life. And that ultimately the pathway to knowing God's grace is through embracing weakness. The pathway to knowing God's grace better than what we do now is through embracing our weakness. So with that said, kind of that introduction, I want to look at probably one of the most odd stories in the Bible, the story of Jacob, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob, um, the story of when Jacob wrestles with God in Genesis 32. So just some quick background, the overview of, of Jacob's life. Um, he's, he's, you probably know he's a twin. He has a twin brother named Esau, and uh, they're born. When they're born, Jacob comes out with his, his hand on Esau's heel. He's grabbing Esau, his brother, by the heel. And so they name him Jacob, which literally kind of means to grab someone by the heel. And apparently in that day and age, to grab someone by the heel was kind of a, just a, a euphemism for saying deceive someone. So if you Jacobed someone, you deceived them. Um, and so we're going to see that Jacob, you know, people were named for their, really their character. And uh, Jacob lives up to his name throughout most of his life. Um, now, I, if Jacob and Esau were alive today, I think they might be something like these two guys. And I'm, I'm sorry if, if you don't really follow Marvel. Um, and uh, oops, I skipped ahead. Um, if, you don't, if you don't follow the Avengers. But uh, I see Esau as a little bit like Thor, the, the, the god of thunder. You know, Thor is kind of this big, strong, brawny guy. Kind of thinks with his muscle as much as his brain. Um, and, and Jacob, be a little bit more like Loki, Thor's half-brother, 
who's always kind of this shifty character. You don't really know quite who he's, whose side he's on, who he's loyal to. He's kind of just manipulating situations for his own good. And uh, so Jacob, Jacob is Loki. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so but, but Jacob, as, as I said, he lives up to his name. His name means deceiver, and that's what he does. He deceives his father. He deceives his brother. He deceives his father-in-law throughout his life, and he, he's very good at it. And kind of his strength, kind of Jacob's ability is to, through deceiving people, to manipulate situations to, to benefit himself, to achieve the good that he wants. Um, and he's, he's good at it. He, he grows up. He gets married. He has all these sons, um, acquires much wealth. Very successful guy. Um, so now we come to, to the text that I want to look at. Um, making sure. Yes, oh, and, and Jacob also seems to, to, seems to kind of serve God on more of a conditional basis. At one point he prays, I have it here in Genesis 28, he prays to God, basically says, if you do all of this stuff, then I'll serve you. So he's kind of serving God on a conditional basis. But where I want to look today in Genesis 32, uh, years have gone by since Jacob was younger and he deceived Esau, but Esau... Um, gets tricked out of his birthright, out of his blessing, and he obviously is very angry at Jacob. And so he swears that when their dad dies, he's going to come back and kill Jacob. But they part ways, they kind of go their own paths in life. And uh, we pick up the story, this is really the, the day before, or the night before, uh, Jacob's going to go out and meet Esau, because he's just heard that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. So... Obviously, Jacob is, is fearful, and so he's, he's splitting up his family and his possessions, trying to send them off to different places, so if, if you know, some of them get caught, the others don't get caught, and, and uh, it winds up that Jacob's alone, and it's the night before he's going to go out and meet, meet Esau, and he's alone, he's by himself, and uh, then this is really one of the weirdest stories in the Bible, I think. Um, I'm going to read it, picking up in Genesis 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Jacob said, or and the man said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon Jacob as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. So God comes... We find out later that, that God really comes. Um, some actually argue that this is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. I'm, I'm not positive. I guess it could be. Um, I don't want to focus on that. But it's, it's God here. And he comes and he wrestles with Jacob. And the, I, I don't know Hebrew, but in studying this, this was really interesting. There's kind of this interesting uh, wordplay going on in Hebrew here that the, the word for the place where they're at, called J- Jabok, 
um, and then the word for Jacob, and then the word for wrestle are all very similar in, in the Hebrew. So it's almost, it's almost like the text is saying, God, Jacob with Jacob at Jacob um, is almost what, what's going on. And I think that's really interesting. I think, I could be off here, but I think the point is that when Jacob seeks to bring his, his strength and his ability, the thing that he's leaned on his whole life, his ability to, to deceive and manipulate people, when he brings that against God, it ultimately, it, it fails. It's not strong enough. God, God overcomes him when he brings his, his, his uh, fleshly strength against God. <clears throat> and so they, I don't know how they were able to wrestle all night. I remember when I was little, I wrestled with my dad um, in the living room. And, I mean, you get tired after like five minutes, so I'm not really sure. But um, obviously, uh, God is not using all of his strength because he's letting Jacob wrestle with him. Um, but day, it says daybreak comes, the, the, the sun starts to come up, and the guy's like, God is, is like, you know, let me go. And um, he, he says we see, when he sees that he cannot, that he does not prevail over Jacob, he, he touches Jacob in the hip, and he causes his hip to, to be dislocated. Now, I, I, I asked Adam Brookins. Adam Brookins wrestled in high school. So I said, Adam, you know, from the perspective of a wrestler, how bad would it be to have your hip dislocated while you're wrestling someone and he's like uh i think it'd be pretty terrible pretty awful um but jacob he, he's tenacious he, he hangs on to him and he says I, I will not let you go unless you bless me and i think what's going on here is jacob is starting to see that he is not strong enough in and of himself and he is desperate for the blessing of the lord and not the not the prosperity of the lord but for the presence of the lord he's like I must have you. Almost like Moses, when he says, you know, please don't take your presence from us. What, where will we go without your presence? I think that's kind of what's, what's going on here when Jacob's saying, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He persists with him. And so God asks Jacob for his name. Jacob has to give him his name. Now, obviously, God knows what his name is. Um, so so what's, what's going on here? Well, again... Names were significant back then. People were kind of named for their identity. And so what's going on here is, I think, uh, Jacob is basically having to confess who he's been. He's having to confess the identity that he has lived by all his life. He's saying, my name is Deceiver. I've lived my life on seeking to deceive, manipulate people on my own strength to to basically just go on my own apart from, apart from you. And he has to confess that to God. And God changes his name. There's a, a name change, an identity change. And you know, some say that it, Israel means uh, strives with God. One commentator actually says um, that, that it, should be, it should mean um, let God rule or Yahweh rule. Um, so there, there is, there is a, a complete... Uh, identity change for Jacob. But then the interesting thing here is, apparently, Jacob limps for the rest, as far as we know, I think he, he limps for the rest of his life. says he leaves that place limping because of his hip. His hip is permanently out of socket. And so I think this is, this is Jacob's thorn in the flesh. This is a physical reminder in Jacob's body that he is not strong enough in and of himself and that he is 
going to have to live the rest of his life dependent, acknowledging his own weakness, embracing his own weakness, and dependent upon the strength of the Lord. Now, for me, um, I've, I've found, and not everyone has to do this, but I've found in my life that one of the most helpful things in my spiritual growth has been to read old authors. Um, I mean, guys that have been dead for a long time. And uh, one of, a guy who's become one of my favorites um, in church history is a guy by the name of John Newton. Um, and he's who's most known for writing Mr. Buddy's favorite hymn, Amazing Grace. Um, actually, Pastor Bart was the one that really kind of got me interested in, in John Newton a couple years ago. Um, and and inc- one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard, and I'm not really going to go into detail into his story, but he was a, he was a slave trader, uh, a, a ship captain of a, of a slave ship, African slave ship, and uh, just steeped in, in a lifestyle deep in sin, um, but was miraculously saved, literally from a storm, and then miraculously God saved him from his sin and um, he becomes a, a pastor and pastors for 43 years in England, uh, never formally theologically trained, um, but becomes a pastor. And um, obviously he's most known for his hymn, Amazing Grace. But uh, Newton was also known for, uh, for his letters. You know, in a time when there was not email or, or you know, any of the social media that we have now, um, people would write him letters asking for advice, asking for counsel, and he would, he would answer them. And then he wrote hundreds of letters. And one of, the, one of the most common themes in John Newton's letters was spiritual growth and, and what does maturity in Christ look like. And uh, so he, he really fleshes out this idea of, of we grow through embracing weakness. And he wrote three letters in particular, and... Uh, he likened spiritual growth to, to an, an ear of corn, like a, a plant of, of corn. And he, he calls them grace. He talks about, he's, he's huge on grace, obviously, because he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Um, but the first stage, he, he likens the stages of growth in corn to the stages of spiritual growth. And so um, on grace in the blade is, is a spiritual baby. And then um, what he calls on grace in the ear is a spiritual teenager. And then on grace in the full corn is a spiritual father. So kind of three general stages of, of spiritual growth. And spiritual babies, basically, John Newton says, a, a baby in the Lord, in Christ, is, is someone who, um, they're, just, they're still very self-reliant. They're very much relying, trying to live live the Christian life, follow God by their own strength. And because they're very self-reliant, they're very insecure um, because their, their identity is basically based on their own strength, their own ability. Pastor Tim Keller uh, talks, about, talks about baby Christians and talking about John Newton on baby Christians. And this is what Tim Keller says. He says, baby Christians are people who, though they intellectually believe that Christ is their Savior, actually and psychologically and functionally in their day-to-day lives act as if something else is their Savior. Radically, they are still insecure. They still really don't believe Jesus loves them. They still really don't believe that they're forgiven. In a sense, they still really are trying to earn that forgiveness. And as long as you're in that state, you're still a baby. And uh, obviously, we do not want to stay in that state. And I think that's why 
Pastor Bart continues to hammer the importance of, of grace and understanding forgiveness and the cross and the gospel. Then you got spiritual teenagers, and this is kind of the in-between stage of spiritual teenagers are starting, they're learning to start placing their confidence outside of themselves. And they start learning um, as, as they go through hard times in life and times where they don't feel the presence of the Lord. Um, they start learning to, to place their identity not on their feelings and their emotions or their circumstances, but on the promises of, of who God is and of, of the gospel and start learning to, to lean on his strength and embrace their own weakness. And then spiritual fathers. This is how John Newton described a spiritual father. Um, grace in the full ear of, of corn. He says, His heart has deceived him so often that he is now in a good measure weaned from trusting to it. And therefore he does not meet with so many disappointments. I think that's... that's amazing i mean imagine that you've you've learned that so often your heart has let you down and so you've learned to not trust not rely on on your heart what your own heart tells you um, which is so against our culture and so against disney you know the message of disney believe your heart trust your heart follow your heart um someone who's mature in the lord has learned that his heart is is deceitful it can let him down so he's, he's no longer disappointed when his heart lets him down, because he doesn't trust in it anymore. And having found again and again the vanity of all other helps, he is now taught to go to the Lord at once for grace and help of every time, and help of every time of need. Thus he is strong, not in himself, but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So this is a, it's a daily acknowledgement, really a, an hour by hour, moment by moment acknowledgement of our own weakness coming to grips with our own weakness, whatever that is in our life, and relying on the strength of the Lord, the all-sufficiency of grace and of the Holy Spirit. I think there's, there's actually kind of this, this paradox in spiritual growth. Um, you know, we, we liken spiritual growth to kind of how our children grow, and there's some similarities there, but I think that there's a, a big uh, difference because one of our goals, I think, is, as parents is to see our kids become more and more, um, more and more independent, more and more um, self-reliant. And, I mean, already we, we, we cheer when Ellie learns how to do something by herself, that she can, you know, hold something up to her mouth. She couldn't do that, you know, a few months ago. And, you know, take that out when we hope that our children, one day they'll move out of the house, they're financially self dependent and no longer relying on mom, mom and dad and that's considered good um i think in spiritual growth it's actually the opposite really the the, the mark of maturity is not greater self-dependence greater self-reliance it's actually being being what physically we would call a baby completely dependent and reliant on the lord for everything completely dependent on the Holy Spirit, completely dependent on the wisdom of the Word of God for, for everything. Um, it, you know, just a, a quick story. Charles Spurgeon, he commented on John Newton, and um, he tells this story of one, one day uh, a guy came up to John Newton and said, Hey, Mr. Newton, I've, I've been reading your, your letters about grace, and, and, you know, grace in the, the blade and in the corn and in the ear, and and when I got to the, the part about where you described a, a spiritual 
father, a mature Christian, I thought, how wonderfully you had described me. And um, Spurgeon said that uh, John Newton replied, he said, oh, well, you, you must not have read it very, very carefully, very closely, because it's one of the marks of, of a full ear of corn that it hangs its head very low. And Newton's not saying we walk around in shame. He's saying we walk around in humility and brokenness, and brokenness, embracing our weakness, relying on the, the strength of the Lord. So what does this look like practically in our life? How does, how does embracing weakness play out in, in a life? Um, so I, I made two lists, uh, and I, these could be a lot longer, but um, Christians who are strong in themselves— you know, live self, pretty much self-reliant lives versus Christians who, who embrace weakness. So Christians who are strong in themselves um, will not pray often. They will not spend a lot of time in the Word. They will have trouble understanding grace in their lives because they're, they're going by their own strength, their own power. They won't have meaningful friendships with other believers because they'll be afraid to admit their weakness and let other people in to their lives. They'll be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. If you think you're strong, you're not worried about attacks. They'll be off-putting to unbelievers. And unfortunately, this is how many people outside the church view those in the church, that we're really confident in, in our own strength and own righteousness. And finally, they'll be insecure in their identity in Christ. Oh, sorry, they'll, they'll find the Christian life exhausting, and then they'll be insecure in their identity in Christ. Verses... Christians who embrace weakness, who are reliant on the grace of, of Christ, will pray more frequently and desperately, will seek God through time and His Word, will have greater experiential understanding of grace, not just an intellectual knowledge, but they'll, they'll know grace in their lives. They'll have deeper friendships with other believers. They'll be vigilant against the temptations and schemes of the enemy. They'll be winsomely intriguing to unbelievers. They'll find the Christian life joyful, not easy, but joyful as they lean into God's all-sufficient grace. And then they'll be confident in their identity in Christ. Um, Andy told me this story. Um, I did not know this story until a few days ago. Of uh, She was in college, and... Uh, they, live, they lived in, a, well, her parents still live in Jacksonville, Florida, but she, she lived there. And she, it was one summer. She was home from college. And uh, her, she has two older brothers, but they, you know, had, were already out of the house. And uh, she's, Andy's the youngest. She's the baby of the family. And um, her dad had had surgery, and so he was not really able to, to work around the house. And so Andy, being a great daughter that, that she is, uh, she decides to, to cut the grass for, for her dad. And she had never cut the grass before because she has two older brothers and, and a father. And uh, I, I guess um, in, in Jacksonville, Florida, they have this grass that's called St. Augustine grass, um, which is very thick and I guess harder to, harder to cut. Um, but Andy, she gets, she gets a lawnmower and so she starts cutting the grass and she, it's really difficult. And so she is straining, like pushing, straining to, to push this lawnmower across the grass, across the yard. But she manages finally to, to get the grass, to get the yard cut. And uh, I don't know if her dad was watching her this whole time um, or not, but when she finishes, uh, her dad comes 
And uh, he says, uh, you know that this is a self-propelled lawnmower, right? Um, but you, you hold a little lever and it basically pushes itself. Basically, you know, you just have to go behind it. Um, I, I think that's a tremendous picture of people who try to live the Christian life based on their own strength, based, you know, self-reliant, versus those who are living the Christian life as it was meant to be lived, embracing their own weakness. I'm not saying that my wife is weak. Um, I, I guess maybe kind of for the sake of the story, but um, sorry, I'm, I'm digging. Um, uh, but, uh, but the, you know, the Christian life is meant to embrace weakness and, and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom on the, of the Word of God, the, the strength of other believers, the body of Christ. <clears throat> Returning to, to the life of, of Jacob, um, after he'd had this encounter with the Lord and um, had his name changed and, and limped, he, he's still flawed through the rest of his life. He still makes mistakes, but he seems to, to show a greater humbleness and, and brokenness. And um, he doesn't just walk with a limp physically. I think he also starts to learn to walk with a limp spiritually. Um, he, he learns to, to be dependent on God. But then in Genesis 48, toward the end of, of Genesis, at the very end of, of Jacob's life, really right before his death, uh, he's really the only thing that he has left to do is, is bless his grandsons and his, his sons. Um, he has this great, this great line um, where he, he's acknowledging God, and he says this. This is how he describes God. He says, God is the one who has been my shepherd. All my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. I love that. that I mean, Jacob, obviously, he had a lot of sheep. He knew, he knew what it was like to be, to be weak and, and foolish like a sheep. And he acknowledges that he's, he's been like a sheep and God's been his shepherd. Jacob has finally become a spiritual father. He's finally able to, to bless future generations because he's become dependent on God's all sufficiency. I read, um, you know, I started with that, that passage in 2 Corinthians 12 of the thorn in the flesh and Paul talking about, you know, God, take this away. And God says, no, my, my grace is, is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in, in your weakness. Um, Christian writer and author Randy Alcorn um, says, writes about this book, or writes about this passage in his book, uh, If God is Good. And it's about um, trusting God in, in evil and suffering, and um, a great book. And this is what, what Randy Alcorn says about this passage of, and how it's helped him as, as a diabetic. He says this. He says, As a teenager who had just come to faith in Christ, I read this passage with perplexed interest. I believed it because it was God's word, but it, it made little sense to me. Now, 40 years later, it makes a great deal of sense. As an insulin-dependent diabetic, I have lain helpless, stiff as a board, not in my right mind, needing my wife to get sugar in my mouth. My once strong body grows weak. Low blood sugar clouds my judgment and leaves me with a memory of having said stupid things like a drunken man. Several times a year, I have severe reactions in which I don't know what is happening to me. He says this, he says, this humbles me. This humbles me, but I can honestly say I am grateful for it. 
Yes, I even delight in it, because I recognize the value of being humbled. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My weakness drives me to greater dependence upon Christ. I wouldn't begin to trade the spiritual benefits I've received. And that, to me, is the picture that I've been trying to to paint of embracing weakness and and leaning on the the grace of Christ. Now, I I realize, I'm aware that you may be saying, well, yes, that's easy for you to say. Things seem to be going well in your life, but you don't know... You don't know the weaknesses that I'm experiencing, Scott. And you don't know how long I've been experiencing them and how hard they've been. And I, I, I don't. I, I confess that. And um, I don't want to in any way minimize um, anyone's pain or, or, or hardship. But, but Jesus does understand. There has never been a, a greater thorn in the flesh a, a greater weakness, a greater limp, so to speak, than the cross that Jesus bore. Um, it, it says in Second Corinthians 13 that Jesus was crucified in weakness. Um, he didn't have a thorn in the flesh so much as he had nails in his flesh and a spear in his flesh. It wasn't his hip that was dislocated. It says in Psalms 22 that, that all of his bones were just are out of joint. He, he had all kinds of things torn out of, out of joint um, on the cross. And so hanging there on the cross, experiencing the most torturous death ever, um, experiencing absence of his father's love and presence. This is, it, it says in the Bible that God actually planned this. In Acts 4, it says that God planned this before time began. He planned for his beloved son to experience this weakness, this thorn, this spiritual limp in order that the greatest good might be achieved. The resurrection, God and Jesus getting glory over everything else and us receiving salvation. And so if if God, if that's how he treated his beloved son, I believe that's how he treats all of his believers, all of his children that he lets them experience weakness, not because he's just with, withdrawn from them, but because in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, he is achieving a greater good. And so as, as we pray, um, as you pray for, for, for healing or for deliverance, whatever your weakness might be, um, are we leaning in to the all-sufficient grace of Christ? Are we relying more on him and less of ourselves? Are we helping each other to do that as well? Um, Close in in prayer. Father, this is a whole lot easier to to get up and talk about than it is to live. And I confess my own weakness in communicating this and even much more so in living this. So God, we are desperate for your Holy Spirit, for your presence, for your grace. God, we want to we know your grace better. So we ask for you to help us to embrace our weaknesses in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.